Our reading this morning is taken from Luke, chapter 10, starting with the 25th verse. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations she had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The word of the Lord. It's a pleasure to be with you here today, and congratulations as a congregation for giving your uh, pastor, Todd, some time off to to hone his skills, to get more education. I'm from congregational ministry in Montreal before I came to this part of the world, and my congregation there gave me a sabbatical leave. Uh, They told me when I came back that I seemed filled with new energy. I'm sure you will experience the same. Uh, Let's bow together in prayer. Loving God, we... Ask your grace upon us, give us that most excellent gift of your Holy Spirit, that in your light we might see light, and in your truth find freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Every single church, every single organization I have ever known has at least one Martha. Thanks be to God for Martha. Martha is the patron saint of the church fellowship hall. Um, She knows where everything is in church because, like, she put it there. Uh, Many churches I go to have those galleries of pictures of former clergy, you know, along the walls. I, I think we should have also a gallery of pictures of the Marthas that have served in our churches, you know, with a hammer in their hand or a dish towel over their arm. They're captured sort of blurry and full flight. 
Uh, come to think of it, Martha is sort of suited to a YouTube clip. The church, the larger community, theological institutions would be lost without their Marthas or, or Matthews. Uh, Martha's a sort of type of person. These people understand the importance of activity, of diligence, of preparation, and hospitality. Martha is the sister or the brother who has our sympathy because Martha is in the business of busyness. Uh, We're all men and women who take responsibility very seriously. I'm sure that that's true of all of you. I'm sure many of you are conscientious workers. You're up late at night and early the next day uh, working into the night. You're volunteers in organizations. You're pinpointing problems and formulating solutions. You probably daily uh, tackle impossible situations. Uh, Modern folks are always doing, doing, doing. I think like Martha, most of us are doing what's expected of us. You see, hospitality in the ancient Near East was no casual affair. A surprise visitor was not so much a nuisance as a kind of challenge. See, a rookie can whip up a feast for a guest who's invited, but only someone with Martha Stewart-like talents can whip up a feast for a surprise visitor. And so it is with those of us who believe in the Protestant work ethic who have imbibed the wine of productivity and efficiency. If someone were to ask you the question, are you working hard or hardly working, you'd say working hard. And I've noticed there's a new liturgical refrain these days. Uh, When we greet each other on the street, you say, how are you? And the liturgical refrain is, I'm so busy. Often rounded out with an itemized recitation of your things to-do list. It's a way of saying, like, I'm important. I have to say, I like Martha. She's tightly wound, endlessly productive, on the move. Martha's the sort of person who, you know, you ask to do the job, and you know she will get it done, even if she has to kill people. (laughs) I mean, smart clergy ask the Marthas of their congregations to chair committees. You don't have to give it another thought. Martha is on it, and she always does excellent work. Everybody knows that the Martha types will get it done, even if it hurts them. The church relies on its Marthas. Families rely on its Marthas. Whole societies rely on Martha. I guess that's why I get a little squeamish about our text from Luke 4 this morning. Jesus doesn't commend Martha. Jesus doesn't appear to know that without uh, Martha, uh, churches would fall flat. Jesus appears in this passage of Holy Scripture to side with that unproductive, inefficient sister, Mary. Jesus commends not the one who stands and talks and busies herself, but the one who sits and listens. Now, I have sat where you sit, and I have heard reckless sermons on this passage from Luke. Unsuspecting clergy naively chastise the busy Marthas of their congregation. Thoughtless words are directed at people without whose efforts, like congregations, would be a whole lot less efficient and hospitable and humane and helpful. Unwary preachers, I've studied the history of this text, from the very beginning of the church have exalted, contemplative, bright-eyed Mary 
but downgraded, practical, multitasking, pots and pans, Martha. Now, these readers of the Bible ignore the sage advice of my favorite Swiss-German theologian, Karl Barth, who once said about this passage the following words. We must not saw off the branch on which we sit. We all receive the benefits of Martha's work amongst us. We need Martha. I'm reminded of the story told by the late Alan Ferris, who was the principal of Knox College in Toronto Presbyterian Seminary. When he was a young minister, he was placed in Trail, British Columbia, a mining and smelting community that you probably know. It was his first charge, and there he ministered to this working-class congregation. Well, it turns out life was not easy for Alan Ferris and his wife. There was no manse, no accommodation. They lived in a tiny little apartment. And somehow his wife had contracted typhoid fever. They just had their first child who had heart trouble and help was miles away. One Sunday, in the midst of all of that personal turmoil, he, he preached on this text from Luke for this morning. He let Martha have it both barrels. He extolled the virtues of Mary, who sat and listened. He castigated the vice of hyperactive, crashing around in the kitchen, Martha. Well, after he got home from the service, the door of his apartment, there where he couldn't miss it, was a steaming casserole. On the casserole, there was a two-word note from Martha. (laughs) Alan Ferris said, I never preached on that passage quite the same way again. There is so much to commend Martha to us. Luke, have you noticed, places the story of Mary and Martha right after the story of the Good Samaritan. I mean, the placement of these stories is really important. Uh, It'd be easy to read the Mary and Martha story and conclude that we should all just sit at Jesus' feet in a comfortable, cozy, warm-hearted retreat from a world in need. But do you notice that the Good Samaritan actually gives us a shove in the other direction? It's called action, to movement, to love people on the margins. Uh, Isn't Martha just being a good Samaritan? I mean, she does her faith, her her faith gets traction in the world. Martha maybe knows the epistle of James. Faith without works is dead. So she does things, she busies herself, gets it done. She's the one, after all, who welcomes itinerant Jesus when he shows up at the door uninvited. So we've got to ask ourselves, what is Jesus up to with Martha? Mary, he says, she chose the one thing necessary. Martha, you you sit down, calm down. Mary's doing the right thing, not you. Now, I have noticed that in the Gospel of Luke, and I've studied it closely, Martha never gets a chance to respond. I mean, Luke is holding the microphone for the interview. But I wonder what kind of conversation she might have had with Luke had she seen his, the final version of his composition. I can just imagine Martha's complaint. Excuse me, Luke, but uh, didn't you just tell the story about, like, the good Samaritan? Wasn't he the hero of that tale? Luke, Luke, do you remember how that one ended? You reported that Jesus said, go and do likewise. So, So why am I the villain, Luke? Look, first you say, don't just sit there, do something. Now you say, don't just do something, sit there. Which is it? Which is it 
for us. But let's look at the story in a slightly different way. Some of you will know that in 1939, King George VI and Queen Elizabeth visited Canada. And they took a tour across the whole of our country by train. In the middle of the night, that train made a stop in the northern Ontario town of Chapleau to take on water. The local mayor asked to greet the king, even though it was 2 o'clock in the morning. King George VI obliged, came onto the platform. On meeting the mayor, the king asked him, Don't you have one of those gold chains of office? Oh, yes, I have one of those, said the mayor, but I only wear it on special occasions. At Mary and Martha's home, it is a special occasion. A moment of gravity arrives in person. Mary grasps the fact. She sits at Jesus' feet. She hangs on his words. She receives what Jesus has to give her. Martha, in a flurry of activity and anxiety, and if my guess is right, resentment, misses the chance. You see, it's not that our work is unimportant. It's not that Jesus doesn't call us to work for the kingdom or in the kingdom. I think Jesus knows that without the Marthas of this world, society would fall apart. But in this passage of scripture, it's a matter of priorities, isn't it? And there's no doubt about what comes first. For disciples of Jesus, worship precedes work. We must breathe in the love of God if we're going to meaningfully exhale the love of God in a world of great need. I have noticed that the active life without a worship life breeds a resentful life. In a recent edition of the Atlantic magazine. I don't know if you see this, but a man called Michael Sandel, who's a political philosopher at Harvard University, offered an article entitled The Case Against Perfection. In the article, Sandel reflects on our performance-obsessed culture. He makes the interesting observation that the recreational drugs of the 1960s and 70s have been replaced in our own day with performance-enhancing drugs. He says, the drugs of choice for today are not for checking out, but for buckling down. Not for beholding the world and taking it in, but for molding the world and fitting in. He says, steroids and stimulants that figure in the enhancement debate are not a source of recreation, but a bid for compliance, a way of answering our competitive society's demand to perfect our performance and improve our nature. He says the demand for performance and perfection animates our impulse to rail against any limit. Now, I don't ordinarily bring political philosophers into my sermons, but I think this observation is so crucial for the church, for community organizations. I have noticed as a church leader that too often we take people who are already too busy in life, ask them to join our church, and then finish them off with more things to do. We're often tempted in church to make busyness some sort of substitute for worship and adoration of Christ. But it can never be. Lord's Day rest when and where we acknowledge who and whose we are. 
that, that can change your life. Life giving rest filled with thanksgiving to the one who did the one thing that actually had to be done. That can breathe life back into our lives. Praise to God for the one who was born in obscurity, who was crucified tragically, and who rose unexpectedly. Celebrate that. And that can be a life-giving witness to an exhausted and depleted world. Friends, the center of Christian activity in the church is always worship. We cannot give what we haven't received. Mary seizes the moment. She receives what Jesus has to give her. Mary becomes a generous receiver. Luke says, Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching. Mary, a friend of Jesus, is now Mary, a disciple of Jesus. Sensing that he's on his way to Jerusalem, Mary breaks, actually, with social custom and polite practice. A woman sits at a rabbi's feet. Such a practice was unknown in the ancient world. But you open the door to Jesus, and like a moment of rest can even become like countercultural. On the other hand, did you notice that Jesus' visit makes Martha mad? Martha was distracted with much service. She even appeals to Jesus' sense of fair play. Don't you care that I have to do everything all alone? Ever heard that? Ever said that? Martha is anxious and troubled about many things. Martha is all a flutter. And here's what I think is going on. Like many doers, Martha is much better at giving than receiving. Martha is the kind of person that gets twitchy if they're not multitasking. She has an agenda and she bangs pots and pans around in the kitchen trying to get uh, control of the situation. Her good works have become a misery to her and a tyranny to everybody else. She is what Oscar Wilde has said, a good person in the worst sense of the term. <laughs> she wants Mary to get with her program, stop spending so much time with Jesus and come and help me. She will even use Jesus to get control. See, Martha's not so much called as Martha is driven. And God be merciful to people who get in Martha's way. I think the Bible's too respectful to say it, but she's miffed with Jesus. Surely he knows how hospitality works. I am the host, and he is the hostess. I have something to give to Jesus. And then Jesus says, well, relax now. Leave the dishes for later. I have something to give to you. The host becomes the host head. The giver becomes the receiver. And the Marthas of this world, the self-made men and women of this world, have a really hard time with that. In the early 1980s, I attended a Christian college in Chicago, Moody Bible Institute. And every year at that school, we got what was called a PCW assignment, a Practical Christian Work Assignment. Uh, some of us taught in Sunday school, others were youth workers, some served in city missions. One year, my assignment was to a senior's residence on the north side of the city. I was to help a woman in her 90s, who lived in public housing, clean her apartment. 
I arrived ready to go. Uh, do you want me to climb up there and clean those cupboards? Can I vacuum for you? Uh, where do I start? I said, like a good Martha. She said, oh, oh never mind about that. Uh, sit down and watch The Price is Right with me. So every week for six months, we watched Bob Barker and The Price is Right and Come On Down, right? When the assignment was over at uh, later in the year, her apartment was as dirty as it had ever been, and she offered me an envelope with $5. We had been told to refuse payment, so I said, thank you very much, but uh, I can't take any money from you. You know, it can make a person feel all self-sufficient when you decline a gift and to give it back. I wonder sometimes if we refuse a gift, not so much as an act of charity, but as an act of power. Maybe that's why I refused it. I, I knew I was better off than her. I didn't need what she had to give me. That's when she stood up all four foot eleven and said, oh, knock it off. She said, young man, don't be too proud to accept a gift. I wasn't expecting that. For modern people, it's very difficult to receive graciously from somebody else. It's humbling to receive what else, what somebody else has to give you. See, we're fixers and doers in a control-oriented meritocracy. It's awkward. See, when you receive a gift, it kind of indebts you to someone else. It it cuts away at your self-sufficiency for the sham that it is, and it shows up your dependence. And the Marthas of this world, the self-made people of this time and place, have a really hard time with that. See, we can get so busy doing, so exhausted finishing our list, that we forget, as Martha did, we need Jesus' words. His words are like life to our lives. They're food to our souls. He has grace and peace to speak to us that we can't get anywhere else. In the place of our busy, distracted, turbulent service, Martha alerts us to stop, to look, and to listen. For it's in the stillness of sitting at the feet of Jesus that our lives can be energized for the kind of service that won't be spoiled by self-pity and self-concern. Some years ago, Martin Luther King's father, Daddy King, traveled to Harvard Memorial Church to offer the sermon at a memorial service for his son. When he came to the pulpit to preach, every time he started to preach, the crowd would applaud and he'd back away from the microphone and he'd try to speak again and they would applaud again. And he he just stood there at the microphone for some time. Finally, Daddy King held up his hand like this and said just above the applause, I don't deserve it. I can't refuse it. I know it's for my boy. Friends, don't waste the gift of grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we don't deserve it, but we can't refuse it. Luke says he set his face toward Jerusalem. And Jesus shared his life with two sisters there. One was a generous receiver. She chose the right thing. 
the one thing needed. God give all of us the grace to do the same thing. Amen. Let us pray. Merciful God, while we slept, you worked for us and for our salvation in the glorious resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. By your Spirit, give us a lively sense that the one thing that had to be done, you did. And we will return to our work to serve you and to love our neighbor, witnesses to the great Sabbath rest you have won for us and the whole world. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you so much. Stand with us, please. Thank you.